Good morning. Today we recognize and celebrate what is commonly known as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Passover that Jesus came entering into Jerusalem. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 21. We'll be taking a look at uh, Palm Sunday as Matthew uh, describes it. And so in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, it says, And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Now, we have a couple of things going here. The start of the entry into Jerusalem is at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, I think, is, is very significant for several reasons. Number one, when the Spirit of God left the temple in Jerusalem many centuries before, it went above the temple and then went to the Mount of Olives and ascended. Jesus, if you will, is going to come from the Mount of Olives to the temple. So there's a, a reverse of what's happening. The, also, the other thing is, is that eventually the Mount of Olives is going to play a very significant part of his kingdom. And so we'll uh, take a look at that uh, later in the message. But he has his disciples go get a donkey and a colt and bring them to him so that he might ride them. And it tells us that this was done to fulfill what was spoken of in the prophet. Now, some people have a tendency to think that when it says, well, this was done to fulfill, there's a sense of, well, Jesus is checking off boxes. Well, this was told of me, so I have to do that. This was told of me, and I have to do that. I'm going to tell you, it's much more different. It is, in, in essence, it says that it is, you can rely on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah because the prophets saw what Jesus as the Messiah would do and told us, and when they told us, we could say, aha, that is in fact the Messiah because he is conforming to what the Messiah will do when the Messiah is there, very much like we will see when about death, burial, and resurrection that is according to the scriptures. Uh, it was done so that we might know that he is actually the Messiah. And the, the scriptures quote and says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, and the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coat. So, Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures, but in essence, the scriptures simply said what Jesus was going to do. So it confirms that this is the Messiah coming because the scripture has had foretold it. it says, Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. 
and the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna is a very interesting word. They're shouting this, this word, and it, it has a couple of meanings. Uh, in English, we'll have words that sound the same, but are spelled differently and mean different things. So, for instance, uh, uh, words that, that we could pronounce differently, but are spelled the same, are like root or route. Uh, you go to Route 66 or Route 66, uh, but it's still spelled the same. But there's also a root that says that it's the beginning of something or a, a plant uh, structure. And so they're the same sounding word, but it's different in the context. Or, for instance, um, I had 10 ants. Aunt Margaret was one of them. So it's spelled the same, but pronounced differently. But also we have the word ant in the sense of the little insect. Spelled differently has an entire different meaning. Hosanna has two meanings that are very similar. One meaning of Hosanna is save us, please. So it's a request. It's a begging for salvation that is to come. But it also means salvation, thank you, that you've granted us salvation and we're thanking you for it. So it's kind of similar to, if you will, um, the Hawaiian language when we hear people say aloha. Now, I'm not an expert, but I understand what people say is that aloha means hello and goodbye. It just means the whichever meaning is based on the context and the situation that you find yourself in, whether you're arriving or you're leaving. So Hazana kind of has the same situation as if you're waiting for deliverance, if you're waiting for salvation, then it is, please save us. But if it's you've already recognized your salvation, is thank you for the salvation. So we have people yelling and, and bowing and cutting branches and, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So some of the crowd may be saying, Finally, salvation has arrived, and others may be saying, we're pleading for you to save us. And when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. So again, unlike today, even then, the people only had a partial understanding of who Jesus is and was. Yes, it is true that Jesus was a prophet, but that is not all of that he is. He is a prophet, he is a priest, he is king, and he is the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Please, all of those things, but they simply place them in a category of one. He is a prophet from Nazareth. We kind of find this in our world today. People tend to only want to categorize God in one particular aspect. He's a loving God, or he's a harsh God, or he's whatever your kind of view of what God is, and you try to pigeonhole him into that category. When God is so much more, he is a 
a God of love. He is holy. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. All of these things are all the aspects of who God is. It's not just a part, but even then they're saying he's the prophet who comes from Nazareth. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the reason why people were asking who is this guy is because you need to remember that a part of the requirement for the Jewish men over the age of 20 were to, if at all possible, be in Jerusalem at Passover. So you have people not only all over Judah and, and Galilee, but throughout the known world at that time, it could be Greece or it could be um, Mesopotamia, wherever the various Jews who had, were living at the time would come to Jerusalem during Passover and celebrate Passover. They hadn't experienced or seen the ministry of Jesus and who Jesus was. So they're asking these questions because they didn't live in Jerusalem. And so uh, they were attempted to be answered. But as soon as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he doesn't set up his kingdom. He doesn't start a revolution. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the temples of the money changers and the seats of those were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. So Jesus goes and cleanses the temple because it needed cleansing, both because many centuries before uh, the spirit vacated the temple, but because of what religious people were doing in the temple. Now, why were there money changers? Because, again, people were going from all over the world to come to Jerusalem, whether it be, again, from Greece, Mesopotamia, Galilee. Each place would have their own money or even the Roman coinage. But they had to pay the temple tax based on the temple money. So they had to exchange their currency for the temple currency to offer the offerings that, that needed to be offered. And there was a high rate of exchange. They weren't performing a service. They were gouging the people. And so it would be the same thing as if, if you were, went to Europe and you needed to acquire euros or maybe in, in England, uh, the pound sterling. Uh, you would need to change, exchange your dollars for the pounds or the euros so that you could uh, purchase what it is that you need to purchase. Well, they're needing to exchange their money for temple money to make the uh, temple tax. And they, like I said, were gouging the people. So they were robbing them because they had the only business in town. You had to get their money to provide the temple tax. Or because you would come from a long way, you wouldn't necessarily bring your own lamb or if you were poor, uh, a turtle dove or whatever, to make sacrifices. So they were selling them to the population so that they might offer their sacrifices. And again, they were gouging the people. And so Jesus is saying, these religious leaders who should be facilitating the temple experience and the forgiveness and the entrance into it, instead they are making 
extreme amounts of money. So they are not just businessmen, they become a robber's men. Jesus does more in the temple than just cleanses it. it. says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So Jesus, again, is performing his miracles in his testimony, that he's healing people who are coming to him, and he's doing so in the temple. Now, I can imagine being healed from blindness or, or being lame would be a wonderful experience no matter where that happened. Doubly so, I would think, when you're actually in the house of God, when God heals you there. And so he's healing them. And as a result, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Again, the children are picking up exactly what they've heard from the crowds in the street. Hosanna, salvation come or salvation please or salvation thank you to the son of David. They are giving Jesus the credit for this salvation. But instead of the religious people being excited that the people are being healed and people are praising God, instead they became indignant. And he and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourself. So Jesus says, Okay, religious leaders, do you not read in the scriptures that even children will praise God? You know, these, these religious leaders are kind of like the typical parents who say, children are supposed to be seen and not heard. Well, Jesus says, when it comes to praise, even children are to be heard because God has prepared himself for praise. And so they are, this, this day is, is, that we're celebrating and re remembering is an awesome day. Jesus, the Son of God, enters into Jerusalem, comes and reestablishes, if you will, religious order in the temple, heals, it receives praise from children, and those who aren't following him become very obvious because instead of praising God for what God is doing, they're indignant. And he, Jesus, left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Jesus, throughout this week period of time, actually less than a week, will enter Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and then will return back to Bethany, Bethany to, to rest and go back and forth. Now, I believe that this week is very truncated. I think he comes on Sunday, and by the time Wednesday, maybe possibly Thursday comes, he is placed on a cross. I don't believe that, as will be celebrated by many Christians later, what is called Good Friday. And the only good about Friday was for you and me, not for him. But that I believe he suffered on the cross when they were slaying the lambs for Passover so that he would be that Passover lamb, as the scripture says. But he goes to Jerusalem, leaves. Goes to Jerusalem, leaves. 
this celebration is about a king who comes. And he comes on a donkey and a colt. And he comes, if you will, as, as someone who isn't impressive. He doesn't come in on a white horse. He doesn't come leading a, a fallen army. Instead, he simply comes followed by his disciples and then the shouting by the crowds who are there. Some having no idea who he is. But there's going to be a time he's going to come as a king who's not coming as a lowly, humble person. He's going to come very much differently. So in Revelation chapter 19, if you'll um, move your, your Bibles to that point, it says, there it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat in it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. This is an entirely different person coming to the earth, but he's the same person. One, he comes as a humble leader, and now he comes one who is not only faithful and true, not just riding on a donkey, but riding on a white horse, and he will judge and he will wage war. I think it's so funny people will say, well, the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. No, he isn't. He's the same God. And the God of the New Testament is the same God as the God of Revelation. And while he is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, he's also a God of judgment and righteousness. And so he's going to come on this white horse. And his flame and his eyes are a flame of fire. We see this, in essence, this is coming as judgment. This fire is a recognition that, as you'll hear, like, for instance, we say, that, uh, put me in the refiner's fire that I might become holy. This is what Jesus does. He comes making things holy. And on his head are many diadems. He has many crowns because he is more than just the king of Israel. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with white robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Well, why is it robe dipped in blood? Because he is the Lamb of God. He was the one whose blood cleanses us, who's the one who allows us to be called children of God, who are the ones who are truly the children of Abraham. Because of his sacrifice, we are who we are and who he makes us because of that sacrifice. Never, ever does heaven forget the sacrifice of Jesus. He is celebrated for his love and sacrifice throughout eternity. But he isn't coming alone. When he came to Jerusalem the first time, he came with a bunch of scraggly disciples, followers, many of them who did not know exactly what he was doing. They were expecting him to set up his kingdom in Israel. They were vying for who would be set on the right hand and who would sit on the left hand. And the rest would get upset because they thought of it first. And they were looking at what was going on here. And yet Jesus said, 
I'm building a kingdom. And it's more than just simply Israel. So in, at this time, instead of just being followed by a few scraggly disciples, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following it on white horses. So when Jesus comes this time, he's not coming again, like I said, with scragglers of a few disciples. He's coming with the armies of God. He's coming as conqueror. He's coming as the one who is entitled to rule and to reign. But notice, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nation. Notice, he comes. The armies of heaven are following him, but it's he who vanquishes the nation. He doesn't need the army. His, the, the word of his mouth, his, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, through simply speech, prevails. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. So again, He's coming, not simply as a humble person, but he's coming victorious and he's coming to judge sin and he's going to do so not as some noble milk toast, washed out kind of person who will let you get away with anything. He's coming and he's going to rule and he's going to make sure that unrighteousness is stepped out. This is, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who he is. This one, this day that we celebrate and we commemorate when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey and People praising God, singing Hosanna to the Son of David. That very same person is coming again. He came as a humble person. He's also coming again. He is not just the king of Israel. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all Lords. So don't mistake that this lowly Jesus is anything other than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came to be a servant. He came at the behest of those who are crying out, save us, please. So that we might no longer necessarily have to say, save us, please. But thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you loved us, that you forgave us, that you have taken your blood and made us clean. And so it says that the armies of God are coming in pure white robe. No sin. No unrighteousness. Not because they were perfect, but because our King, our Lord, 
made us. But Jesus is to be celebrated, is to be honored, is to be praised, not simply as the one who came as a suffering servant, but is coming, King of kings and Lord of lords, and the whole world will bow and confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. We for eternity will cry out, blessed is the Lamb who takes away the sin. Blessed is he who has caused us to have a living hope and to be in heaven before our God because of what this King, what this Lord has done for us. This time, we are to recognize his holiness on Passover, first fruit, and every day thereafter. We are to recognize his holiness forever. Because of his holiness, we are made whole and holy. Let us bow and pray and consider that.